there's uh, so many things <laughs> that I want to pastor you along in with what just happened in the last so many minutes. Maybe just briefly. For one, God's presence is meant to be experienced. Even as we started prayer earlier, he starts meeting with us. It's not just a prayer meeting. It's an encounter. He's with us. He's moving. He's doing things. He's stirring things up within us. It's a... It's an exchange. It's not even just like, God, would you bless our time together? There's an exchange that happens. He begins to bless us, reveal his very presence with us, and that transitions just into a time of worship. Now, as there is a... There is plenty teaching that would tell you that your relationship with the Lord fits neatly into a certain kind of box that you're just supposed to do the things, check off the, the boxes that you've accomplished it, and just go about your Christian life as one who kind of has control over everything. You get to determine ultimately what happens and what goes on, and so really uh, Christ isn't preeminent, but you're preeminent. Uh, and I'm not, like, getting at you. I'm saying, this is the struggle of the flesh, right? We live in this. And so in these moments, we, we want to give Jesus the opportunity to speak. And part of that is the gifts. The gifts are brought to bear. Prophetic words are brought to bear. And, and even when it comes, maybe it's good for us to review this again. When it comes to prophetic words, let it stir your faith as much as it's intended to. but keep it in an open hand. Go back to 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. Read through it, right? This is for encouragement. This is to stir your faith towards something, and if it's bringing anything else than that, then leave it in the open hand. Set it, set it aside. Right? As 1 Thessalonians 5.18 would say, it's to receive what is good and set apart what isn't. There's a discernment now that in the ear of the hearer, there's a responsibility that you take on. You may not want that responsibility this morning. I don't want to have to deal with that word. <laughs> as good as it might have been. <laughs> but that's a part of being a, a member of the body. You, you, you take on something of the responsibility of one another. So even as as a gift, a manifestation of the Spirit is, is shared, you have to take on some level of now responsibility to steward that. It's the way it rolls. Right? So you let it stir your faith in so much as it stirs your faith. And what things you need to discern and put aside, you discern it and put it aside. But you allow it to stir you. And I just want to encourage you. Folks, if... If the strength of Samson was in his hair, that's a little strange. That Delilah can just come and snip it off and suddenly this man is defeatable. <laughs> I don't know about you, but that just wouldn't fit in today's like American church. God worked that way. 
<laughs> yeah, he works that way in ways that don't make sense. He talks through a stinking donkey. He makes axe heads to float. Why? I don't know. Because you can't put them in a box. And neither should you. Some of you carry things that you've carried for years that suddenly the Lord's going to break in and do something in your heart and life in a moment that has taken perhaps even decades to see resolve come to it. And you're going to say, why now? Why now, God, did you show up and bring this healing grace to me? Why did you relieve that depression? Why did you take those wounds just out of my heart? Why did it take so many years to come to this point and place? And there's mystery to it. But the fact is, is this is the way God works, and this is the way he moves. It doesn't make sense to you. Oh, how unsearchable are his thoughts. He's working on another level. So he's going to use the struggle, and he's going to use the moment of healing to come and to do something amazing, which leaves us very expectant. When we gather, anything could happen. And probably there's more that he wants to do in our midst on a regular basis than what we probably give him credit for. And so we come saying, Lord, we're throwing ourselves on the altar. All our pre-conceived kind of notions of who you are, what we expect, like it's, it all goes on the altar. <laughs> and Lord, now you get free sway over this time. We don't abandon wisdom. We don't abandon thought. We don't abandon his word. But we do recognize that he is one who can work in some pretty mysterious ways. And he can come with a touch of healing that you've waited for years for and bring that to bear in a moment. And he will not have wasted the process nor the moment. He is making all things new. He's making all things new, yes, one day in utter perfection, but he's making all things new even now. That process is at work. The, re the revealing of his kingdom is happening in greater measure, greater measure, greater measure, greater measure, particularly through his church. That's how his kingdom has been, his kingdom outpost has been established. It's been established through his church. That's what we get to be to see his authority, his rule and reign realized. That already but not yet of making things new. It's happening. So we come together very expectant. He's gonna save people, he's gonna heal people, he's gonna take the junk of our emotional turmoil and say, peace be still. <laughs> Done. <laughs> it's what he does. So we gather, we wait on him and just say, Lord, come and have your way among us. Now, as I'm saying all this, I am torn. Because I got this sermon, you know, I sat down prepared last yesterday because our week was nuts. You know, we, we go down to Florida, and thanks for all those who served back here, uh, all the ways in which you guys filled in. Um, uh, as, as we finished up our time in Florida, we all got sick. Uh, it was a mess, to say the least, and we're still kind of feeling the fatigue of all that kind of stuff. Um, 
And, but uh, as we're then preparing for today, yesterday, um, you know, it's like, okay, I know, I know what to do. And you, you go through and you get a sermon together and you lean into the Lord and he gives you things and then you show up Sunday morning and I can't get Ephesians 4 out of my mind. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick, like, left turn. And whatever doesn't get done, I'm not going to hold you all day or anything like that. But, like, let's go to Ephesians 4, Ephesians 4, verse 15. And by the way, yeah, so the notes on, the, on that thing are not right. Um, so Ephesians 4, again, th- this isn't something even pastorally that I think is wise to do on a regular basis. Um, and I'm still kind of like, I don't even know what to say about some of this. Um, but I think the Lord will lead. Uh, but I think there are times where he leads and he wants to communicate something even then, even when we've planned other things. Um, and so Ephesians chapter 4, uh, and, and remember when you jump into Ephesians, man, it is like, Ephesians chapter 1 is like, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because he's done this incredible work of salvation, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit uh, collaborating together to redeem humanity. Incredible, right? And then Paul prays, oh, church, that you would know the incredible resurrection power that is in you. You've been saved, and it's not as though, okay, well, I've been saved from my sin. Isn't that good and wonderful? No, you've been saved into Christ, which means you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, which means you have resurrection power in you. He's in you, so you get resurrection power in you. And you get to the end of chapter 1. That resurrection power is in you, Christ in you, the Spirit in you, so that you might fill all in all. You're like, what am I supposed to fill again? He fills you so that you might, we might, the church might, fill all in all with the power and authority of Christ. In other words, it's to say that God intends his kingdom to be realized throughout the globe in greater measure through you, his Holy Spirit indwelt church. Got that? That's why, he's, that's why it's like, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's done this incredible thing. He's taken us, chapter 2, from death, spiritual death, you were flatlined, you were just a corpse. You were flatlined in your sins and transgressions. You were following Satan. You weren't just lost. Like we like, we like to kind of make it nice. You, you were kind of confused and lost. You were just the sheep, just kind of wandering away. You know, no, 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 no. Paul kind of like wrenches it up a little bit. You were like the walking dead. You chose to follow. You were so perverted in your perception that you followed Satan and thought that was a good thing to do. And it doesn't mean that you were just doing a whole bunch of bad things. You were trying to do even good things, but the good things, as we oftentimes say, became God things to you. Family becomes God. Coming to church becomes God. Having a testimony that you have been saved can even become God. How we use religiosity in our experiences within our walk with Jesus, even to be God. It's like so twisted. That's part of our sinful nature. Paul's saying, you were once dead, following Satan, 
but God, rich in mercy, 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 drenching, overflowing with mercy. He saved you. He saved you out of that pursuit of Satan. And he now has kind of made you his prized possession, his like handcrafted trophy, his workmanship created for good works that you might walk in them. Again, remember, you're supposed to fill all in all, right? You're supposed to be this beacon in this darkness, and he took you from death to life, made you into his perfect little workmanship, so that you might fulfill the works that before the foundation, he said, Leslie, I'm going to give you some good things to do. Tom, I'm going to do some good things for you, and and you're going to walk this out. You're going to get to shine. My spirit in you, redeemed as you are, to shine for my sake, to be my kingdom representatives here on earth. It's incredible. Further on in chapter 2, we get to see that we're reminded just how amazing. Like, not only were we dead, for most of us, but we didn't belong to the people of God in terms of our nationality. We weren't Jewish. And so we're Gentiles, which means we're, we're like a, even further a step away from God's redemptive work. But who has brought us near by the blood of his cross? Jesus. It's, it's like a lasso, a redemptive lasso. He, he's, you're way out there. You're way separated from God. And he's taking the blood of his cross and casting it out on you and pulling you into himself so that you who were without God were without hope in this world now have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He's brought you near. He's taken you from the death. He's taken you from the separation. And he's brought you in, and not only has he brought you to himself, this is the point that we got to get to, but he's brought you into his family, his household, his church. So, if you're truly one who has been saved by the blood of Christ, if if you're one who has been brought in, To Christ, you've inevitably been brought into his family. In fact, scripture, you you can't find in scripture that, that any of those who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ are just individuals who stand kind of as an end to themselves. There's, as we oftentimes say, there's no Lone Ranger Christians. Nobody on their own. In fact, the imagery of the church is a body. It's it's like if I take an appendage and separate it from the body, even though I might put it on ice, it ain't going to last long. That part of your vitality in Christ is connected to your relationships with one another. Your life in Christ, your vitality in Christ is connected to one another. So Paul jumps into Ephesians chapter 4. Notice what he says in verse 15. He says, rather speaking the truth in love... 
we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into who? Christ. Christ. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in what? Love. Love. You haven't just been saved to Jesus, as important as that is, but if you've been saved to Jesus, you've been saved to his community, his family, the church. And that's, that's intentional for many reasons, For one reason, which is so evident as Jesus would even call his disciples to himself, you know, and he has relationship with the three and the 12 and even the 70 and even like maybe the 120 or so. And there's concentric circles to those kind of connected to Jesus and following after him in his journey. But what is most uh, incredible to read through as you consider the gospel accounts is that The disciples themselves, the 12 in particular, where we get the most information in the Gospels, they're individuals who uh, we see again and again butting heads. Right? It's multiple times that they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? And, And Jesus has to come alongside of them and actually, like, talk them down off of that stuff. On one account... Mark chapter 10, Jesus has to remind them that he himself did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's true greatness. (laughs) Service to one another. Considering one another more significant than yourself. I think that's in the Bible somewhere. That is true holiness. But it's like the community that Jesus has saved us to is necessary to expose the very, if I could say it this way, the shadows of our souls. I can't have true good relationship with you without bearing something of the shadow of my soul. The stuff that I like to keep kind of in the back corner, you know, don't let any light shine on that. I don't want you to see that, right? I want enough makeup on my soul so that you don't see the blemishes. But what community does is pushes us past those barriers so we have true, authentic, substantial relationship. He uses these relationships so you can't just hide the crap. So you can't just sit on the blemishes. So you can't just live with, you know, that back closet locked away. These relationships are intended to expose. It's one of the reasons why we like to keep a distance from the church. And I mean relationally. Oh, we come, we do our thing, and it's, it's oftentimes the reason for why we even hide behind some of the service that we do within the church. Okay, I'll do this and I'll do this and I'll run around and be faithful to this and be faithful to that. But to have a real relationship where like your heart is out there, (laughs) where there's a a level of vulnerability extended. No, 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 no. 
I'll give you my service, don't ask for my heart. And that's a dangerous place to be. Again, we were created this way. We are bound, as the text says, knit together in relationship. The idea, actually, in the text is, yes, the imagery of a body, right? Christ is the head from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is with. It has the idea of a body and all the joints of that body, but it also can be, uh, the metaphor is that of a net, a fishing net. Right? And so as a fishing net, you have these knots throughout the fishing net. And each one of those knots would be the relational connection, the heart-to-heart connection that we are to be, that we are to share in the beauty of Christ together with. Like, your, your junk is safe with me because together we share in Jesus. I'm not going to put your identity on your junk. And I expect the same in looking in my heart. Right? We have someone who defines our significance and our worth so that I am free. I'm like safe to be like, here's my heart. <laughs> because whatever you might do with my heart, and we are imperfect people as a church, isn't ultimate for me. Because I have him. He's my significance and worth. He's the one who brought me near, <laughs> despite the shadows of my soul. And he is the one who still wants to sanctify me if we would go to chapter 5. He's the one who is the groom to the bride who wants to wash her with his word. In other words, the shadow spaces shouldn't remain. The sin shouldn't remain. He's not good with you not being purified. He's not good with you kind of holding things back. He wants the extravagance of all of you for all of him. That's extravagant. That's the alabaster flask. I'm breaking it up. I'm giving everything. It's like a year's worth of salary poured out on Jesus' feet. And if you go to the account in Luke chapter 6, 7, right? That's a woman from the city. She's made that money through a bunch of sinful activity. She says, man, he's worthy because he's redeemed. He's made me something that I no longer am. And I can take all the the money that I have gained through my fleshly ways and I can break it over his feet and say, worthy are you, Jesus. She's not holding anything back. It's extravagant. I'm no longer defined by the shadow spaces. I'm defined by him. He's taken the lasso. He's brought me near. I was flatlined in my sin, gladly following Satan. And oh, his mercy interrupted my life. And he's made me his own. This is the beauty of our Jesus. This is the beauty, folks, of the church. He's put us together. (laughs) Whether you like it or not. (laughs) He's put us together. And he probably didn't have the idea of what is, I'm going there, the Western church. Where we could just pick and choose a church here and there to fit. And, 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 and look, I, I think especially uh, there needs to be some critique brought to the consumeristic church in our day. That's what I'm shooting for. I'm not shooting at the fact that there are some churches that are going to deserve a unique calling to serve and minister there. 
And I'll be straight, this is one of them. You can't serve well in this community, be bound in relationship to individuals where you don't sense a clear calling of the Lord to be here. Because this, this church is going to take on some unique challenges. First, the brokenness of our area. So if you got shadow spaces and you're trying to be a light to what is already darkness, it ain't going to flow, man. The, en the enemy will find those shadow spaces. He will find those shadow spaces. He will exploit them. And what we've already seen historically as a church, he will take that hidden sin and he will, he will make a mess. He, he will like gut out the strength of the church in some sense by keeping all those sins hidden because you can't be a light still holding on to your own sin. You will, make, you will become duplicitous. You will become two-faced. Trying to, again, put the makeup on while the blemishes are covered, but knowing that behind the scenes there are things going on that actually undo the very activity of your makeup face, if that makes any sense. It just doesn't work. This is a place. You've got to be called to it. You, you can't just go through the typical Christian kind of rigmarole and, and think that we're going to shine here and make a difference here. Um, and not only is holiness an issue, but then diversity is going to be an issue. You're going to have people who don't look like you, who don't smell like you, who don't act like you. I mean, we're going to have uh, not just diversity issues in terms of cultural diversity, ethnic diversity, but we're going to have diversity as well as it relates to economic diversity. So if you're not willing to deal with the issues of those who are really struggling and probably will never get their feet underneath of themselves, even with the issue that we had a little bit ago out in the foyer, it, 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 it's, it's difficult it's sad. You guys did an awesome job, by the way. I watched it. Um, but those are the things that we're going to have to deal with. Like, my, my family's churches back in the suburbs and all that, they're not dealing with that. They're just not. But it's love. It's love. It's love to have to confront someone, right, in a situation because it's going to create a level of harm for everyone else. It's love. And so th this is what we are as a We have to be called to this. We're going to sound different. We're going to look different. We're going to come from different places. We're going to come with a whole heck of a lot of need. And if you don't find yourself then like, I'm called here to be bound to these relationships, not to keep my shadow spaces alone and behind the scenes, but I, I want to be those who, who, who trust Jesus and in trusting Jesus, trust one another and lean into relationships. Even when I might be different from the next person. Our differences, let's treasure them. Our differences of personality, let's treasure them rather than being abrasive. Now, I'll, I'll tell you, I've had plenty of times 
even in the last so many years where I'm, I'm, I, I know in the moment my personality does not jive with this. Or, or, or I would get in my head about pastorally, I want to quench something, and the Lord's saying, don't you touch this, don't you touch this, don't you touch this. Because it's my preference. I'm learning through it all. There's still a lot to learn. <laughs> but I have to get back to this reality. This ain't my church. I didn't purchase this with my own blood. I didn't bring you near to God. I didn't redeem you. I, I, I don't even get, I don't even get to determine these relationships. This is his, this is his manufacturing, his divine manufacturing that he's brought us together. <laughs> you don't get to choose who you get to do church with. That's a really good thing because your shadow spaces need to be brought to the forefront. And his grace brought to bear upon that so we can grow. That's why, back to the text, verse 15, speaking the truth in love. There's an assumption that there's like a level of correction that needs to happen in these relationships. The shadow spaces need to be tended to. And so what is our responsibility to one another? Oh, to whine about one another, to get bitter with one another. No, no, no. It's to speak the truth in love. And what is the truth? Well, if you look down, uh, let's say, verse 21. Assuming that you have already heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in what? Jesus. Who's the truth? Jesus is the truth. Speak Jesus lovingly to one another. That's really good. Because we love to speak our preferences to one another. We love to speak the things that... You know, we really like and prefer in the ways that we lean, whether it's politically or whatever. Like we, we want to speak from our mindset rather than from the person of Christ. So that's the reordering that we have to do. We got to get with Jesus so that we can rightly, lovingly speak Jesus to one another when in relationship we see perhaps the shadow spaces become exposed. And it's in this, then, that we grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. You can't grow rightly without one another. You can't grow rightly with, without one another without speaking the truth to one another. I hope you have some truth to speak to one another. It's another point. Again, it's not saying speak all the theology you might know to one another. I'm, I'm, we are tired of dead theology. Like, I don't care what you know. Who do you know? Have you been on your knees recently? Have you been time of prayer? When was the last time you wept at the reality of your Jesus? Has your heart been moved? Has your heart been warmed? It's to know Jesus. He is what we speak and he must be what we know. So that when you see, yeah, something out of joint in someone else, you got something, you got fresh bread to give them. Not just a cold correction, not just a theological you know, platitude. But you got some warmth. 
Now you got some fresh bread to bring into their need. Got to speak the truth and love to one another so that we might grow up in every way. That, that means there's going to be a diversity of needs represented, a, a diversity, if we could say it this way, of shadow spaces within our souls, things we don't see ourselves that you see in me that needs to be corrected. Right? So there's going to be a diversity of ways in which we have to grow up. But this is the way we grow in relationship to one another as we together pursue our Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's through this, with all the pieces working properly, that it makes the church, the body, grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is what is required for a church culture that is loving. You got to bear your soul to one another. <laughs> right? You got to be real with one another, but not real for just real sake. Real for, like, Jesus' sake. Right? Because I got to own who I am before I can give myself to the altar for who he is. See? So this is it, folks. This is the exhortation. I'll, I'll leave it with, with this. And I feel like um, there's plenty of things that I plan to say in regards to some of our membership material and continuing some of that. But I think maybe that this is due our attention. And even this week, I'd encourage you, you know, read through some of this. Ephesians chapter 4. Verses 15, particularly, then 15 and 16. But consider the context. There's so many good things. And of course, Paul's going to go on to press on specific failings within the church family, right? Don't be given to just like stupid talk. Okay, so now my mouth has to. Okay, don't be given to sensuality. Don't be given to greed, all right? Don't be given to bitterness and unforgiveness. Like, he goes through it. And those are the things that we should be aware of in one another's life. So, that in moments of loving relationship, when the shadow space is exposed, we have Jesus to speak to. Oh, Jesus wants that. He wants to correct that. He wants to show you grace in that. He saved you to change you. And, and by the way, there's no one who's going to speak truth to you that doesn't need truth themselves. This is a mutual endeavor. You can't help someone without being helped yourself. You get that? Have you ever tried, like, someone in addiction? If you try to help someone in addiction, you, your junk is going to be exposed in the process. You, you can't but see your impatience and your lack of mercy and your struggle, your self-righteousness, all that stuff comes out when you're just trying to help them. If you're helping someone change, it demands change in yourself. That's the beauty, again, of these connections of relationships. Like, we're doing this together, speaking the truth of Christ to one another. Yes, and lovingly receiving it, being careful as we go, but ultimately then growing up into Christ and becoming a community that is identified by love. Love. One last thought is that love... Love is not easy. Love, by definition, costs. 
agape costs. It, it's the very essence of the word. It's sacrifice. Blood, sweat, and tears kind of stuff. Like, it is, I'm giving up myself for this person. It's like the skin off your teeth. You've got to give up something for these relationships, which means this. How you view the church, or perhaps I could say it this way, like what time, attention you give to the church cannot be what's the leftovers of your life. Jesus didn't save us to himself and save us to one another so that the church becomes this, like, well, it, it gets the last bit that's in the tank. And I, I think there's, I think there's a mindset that functions that way. And we've justified it in all kinds of different ways for all different kinds of reasons. And, and why I bring that up is I just want you to be sensitive to it. Because the normal drift, again, of the Christian life will be to deprioritize the very things that Christ says prioritize. And we'll get into this in a few weeks, by the way. Um, but love, if we're going to be a people of love. Love is going to be part of our culture. It requires that self-giving. Well, it can't just be what's left in the tank. It can't just be, well, here's my life, and here's the itty-bitty margin that's left over in my life. Uh, if I feel like it, I'll give it to these relationships. It can't. That is... That's not what Jesus died for. You're precious. You're so precious to him, and part of that value and that preciousness to him is to be seen in how we care for one another. These are the reasons why over the years, you know, I've challenge the church on like how you're living your life, what you're giving your life to. We, we, we kind of prioritize our lives according to like our own sense of bandwidth to life. And like if I, to the promotion point, like it's not to go against the, the encouragement, let that stir your faith. But maybe a, the promotion isn't the kingdom wisdom that's necessary, but it's because it's going to take you beyond the bandwidth. It's going to take you beyond the priorities that God calls you to. And so all these things have to be weighed. How much time you give to your kids running around doing this and that. Like what I think our, our, our hope would be that we're minimizing some of life so that we actually are gaining bandwidth for the priorities that Christ has given to us. If that makes sense. Right? 
so, so I, I think we got to minimize. We got to minimize the junk we take in. We got to minimize all the screens that we take in, the information that we take in. We got to be people who get back to the simple ways of like, oh no, I can sit and in solitude turn my attention to the Lord. That, that from those simple kind of exercises to then how we do love and relationship with one another, it all is interconnected together. And so it's to minimize, reprioritize some of life so that the relationships that God has called us to can actually be flourishing relationships, that we can actually give the time. Part of relationships uh, that, that truly have love in them demand time, demand attention and sacrifice. Um, and so we got to keep all of that in mind. Life has to be rearranged in some ways. So speak the truth in love so that we might grow up into Christ. Amen. All right. Are you close with the song? Let me pray. And I, again, in these moments, we just kind of wait on the Lord. I know we're past noon. Um, but I also don't want to move past what he may have for us. So yeah, let's, let's just turn our attention to him. <coughs> Man, we got a mess. So Spirit of God, we thank you for your word. Thank you that you reveal to us in detail the beauty of our salvation. Thank you, Spirit, that you don't intend to, for those things to just be like theological platitudes that we get all jazzed about, but there is a person who's made it possible. And our hearts are to be drawn into his beauty, our hearts are to be drawn into his glory, to be affected by him. So, Spirit of God, thank you for revealing the person of Jesus. Father God, thank you that this has been your plan from the beginning. And Lord, we do pray, we just pray that you would take us into greater depths of relationship uh, with you. And that the overflow of those relationships with you would then be sweet community with one another. where we can cherish the diversity uh, among us, where we can kind of hold hand in hand in pursuing holiness together. And Lord, even when our hearts uh, perhaps stray, and even, even in situations where members of your body kind of stick their heels in to their, to their sin. Lord, teach us what it is to love, to love those well who, who need that correction, even as we would have planned to talk about church discipline a bit this morning. Lord, that you are so kind to leave the 99 to seek out the one. And so, Lord, I, I do pray that you would stir within our hearts a unique um, love for one another, 
a unique love for your bride, a unique uh, sense of jealousy for her holiness, uh, a unique jealousy to see love flourish uh, among these relationships that you have given us, Lord. We pray that your bride would be a beautiful bride for you. That the way we walk together, the way we talk together, the way we do life and mission together would please the groom. So Lord, teach us what it is to do true, authentic, deep community with one another. Teach us, Lord. Teach us what needs to ch be changed in our own lives so we can truly love uh, one another with time, effort, and attention to one another. And Lord, I confess it is uh, part of this holy jealousy, Lord, is to just want to look to you together. there'd be a camaraderie of heart. Hearts that are just hungry to behold the glory of the risen land. Lord, it's wonderful doing that personally, individually, in our quiet places, but Lord, there's nothing like doing that in community. Together, where hearts are aligned in hunger for you, eager to get after you, eager to honor you, lift you up, oh, Lord. And so we, we pray for that. We pray for that, Lord. Align our hearts in hunger for you. Lord, uh, <laughs> deprive our hearts. Make us poor in spirit. Make all the things that get in the way of that tasteless to us. Make it just like, why am I doing this again? Why am I giving my attention and time to this and that again? Uh, Lord, realign the things within that need to be realigned so that hunger is stirred up within for you. And we know that can only happen, Holy Spirit, when you kind of extend your, your supernatural touch into us. Where you awaken our hearts to what needs to be changed. And so we invite you, Lord, Spirit, would you fill us afresh, touch us afresh, show us the things that need to change. So yes, it could be said, he is making all things new. <laughs> He's doing it. And it is good. It is good. Lord, we bless you, we bless you, we bless you.